Today's episode of RPG Pop Club is brought to you by the generous support of our producer, Just a Guy. Thank you for your support. Dear listeners, if you too are enjoying RPG Pop Club, please consider supporting us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash rpgpopclub. And now, on with the show. RPG Pop Club. RPG Pop Club. RPG Pop Club. RPG Pop Club. Yeah! Hi, I'm Philip Sokoloff. And I'm Sarah Nicole Carter. And this is RPG Pop Club. Each week we play a Star Trek tabletop RPG adventure, and then we review it. Today we are playing The Vanished. We are recording this episode on Father's Day, so we decided today we'd have a roundtable discussion with uh, a bunch of the dads in the group. Uh, We've got Aaron and John and Eric. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Doing, Doing good. Doing pretty good, yeah. Fantastic. Aaron, this is our, our first time having you on. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, thank you guys for me having too. me. too. Yeah, it's great. We're going to have you uh, next week as well, I think. Um, so we'll, we'll get uh, up close and personal then. But why don't you just tell us two things you're really enjoying about the campaign? Go. Gosh, well, uh, the first thing is getting uh, acquainted with Star Trek, the original series because i never really spent time doing that um and so yeah. it's been really exciting for me to uh get to to play around with that uh the second thing is just to be spending time with you guys and um you know we have all had our little diaspora and we don't get to see a whole lot of each other and especially for those of us you know who are dads and money's not coming out our ears it's not easy to travel and see each other so that's uh that's all really awesome love it i love both those things those are like my two favorite things in the world right now so right there with you man hell yeah we we watched uh before the this game we watched um the enemy within that was a good one everybody mm-hmm. watch it yeah you know we watched it that's the one where yeah. in the transport goes to the transporter, but the transporter yes. functions and there's like a good version of Kirk and an evil version. Or no, no, it's not even good and evil. It's that one is like the very logical, calm, unemotional Kirk. The other is the very like high emotion, aggressive Kirk, right? Right. Yeah. Great vehicle for Shatner. Really daring choice for an episode early on in your series to, to paint your lead you know, to show him as like an absolute asshole and also a complete wimp. Um, I thought that was amazing. And the musical score, of course. Well, one of my favorites. And he assaults one of the, one of the, like the yeoman or something, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and great. Uh, and, and they get into like, uh, like you said, it's not really good and evil. It might be. Um, Spock is kind of like evilly delighted about that. Uh, but it's also like the the good guy has all the logic. But he gets and, he gets emo as the episode progresses, right? That's one of the yeah. fears, right? Is that he's getting like consumed by its fear and anxiety and things like that. So it's not mm-hmm. really good and evil. It's just these two polar sides of the personality, right? Yeah. Which is even more interesting because they could have painted it in black and white, but he's actually exploring more um, depth of this, which is cool. I don't know. Shatner was cool in this. I like the scar. 
the scar work. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and no no shuttles in the episode. I think we could go over this Important before. to note. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking shuttles. All right. Should we jump right in and uh, and recap our episode, uh, game, our gameplay? Let's All do right. it. Here we go. Commander's Log, Stardate 7242.3. The USS Cody is passing near Federation Deep Space Research Facility 39, a special scientific station for the development of sensitive experiments away from any solar system. Regulations call for any ship passing within extreme sensor distance of any Federation facility to establish communications as a courtesy. All right. So this is uh, 1983. We're still in 1983 with The Vanished. Actually, the first standalone module for Star Trek. So far, everything we've run has been part of a box set or something. What so, was the year it was published again? Sorry. 1983. Okay. We've been in 1983 now for a while. And uh, we've still got a ways to go. There was a busy year. The year right after Wrath of Khan. Oh. Well, let's, shall we do, uh, let's move on to landing party. This is where we meet all the members of our crew. The landing party. Real name, Dave. I play Lieutenant Colin McDonald of Clan Ronald. I am acting commander. Hi, I'm Ava and I play Ensign Ingrid Jensen. She is a half-Romulan Scandinavian science officer aboard the USS Cody. So, my name is Dri. I'm a Lieutenant Igor Petrenko from Ukraine. This is, uh, my name is John. I am Cadet Alejandro Roca Solano. I'm from Spain. I'm in the engineer department. Uh, I am Ensign Valentin Laurent. I am Ensign De Los Santos. So my name is uh, Trist. I'm a doctor. Um, I'm Argelian. So I'm a Vulcan. My name is Tapru. As the USS Cody emerged from warp, they passed through a magnetic storm. The storm interfered with their communication systems, and they could establish only audio communications with no visual signal. Right. So communications officer De Los Santos began speaking with the station, checking to see if there had been any incidents. No, no excitement here. No one ever stops here. It's, if it weren't for the old man raising cane with the science boys, we'd have no excitement at all. You folks get all the interesting jobs, I'm sure. Well, we just sit on our face. Ah, uh, yes. And then he becomes someone's lost, dinner. Uh, the signal. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, it appears to have uh, become maybe someone's lunch or, uh, you know, popped off for uh, uh, you know, midnight snack, or who knows, right? Yeah. Very exciting. I, I love there was that phrase, like, raising cane, and, like, the whole group was just, like, they did a whole what? research project on what the heck that meant, and that yeah, right. must be the, the key to it, to the whole thing. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Nobody realized what raising cane meant. I thought it was the chicken place. <laughs> right? I think sometimes in sci-fi, they try to, like, invent, like, slang. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, like... Timothy Zahn will say instead of, uh, uh, I can't remember. 
uh, instead of like the, the 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 oldest trick in the book, he'll say the oldest trick on the list because maybe they don't use books anymore in Star Wars. Mm. I got you. Well, they did in Firefly. Yeah, but in Firefly was well, Firefly was great with that. Yeah. Yeah, but he's just saying, I'm giving an example of a sci-fi series that makes up their own shiz. It's an amazing example. Thank you, Eric. I love you. You're very handsome. <laughs> he is very handsome. He sure is. He's Indeed. elaborately bearded. Perfect. Father's Day. Father's yes. Day. Yay, fathers. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on. The crew confirmed that their equipment was working and the channel with the station was connected and open. They just weren't transmitting. Commander McDonald decided that Cody needed to investigate immediately. So he headed quickly for the station. The space station was a research facility. So structurally, it has four spokes, which branch off from a central circular hub. Each branch housed its own independent research team. Tachyon Micromechanics Limited, Biogenetic Research Incorporated, Multi-Planet Metals Incorporated, and New Amsterdam Gravitics Limited. Interference from the magnetic storm prevented the ship's sensors from getting any definitive readings within the station. But Dr. Triss, being from the planet Argelius II, had empathic abilities. She reached out with her abilities to see what she could sense. Commander, I'm, I'm getting a very confusing sensation. It doesn't feel hostile, but I, it's not any kind of emotion that I've ever encountered before. Ooh. Um, Maybe it's true love. <gasps> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> That's awesome. Definitely not your your favorite uh, adventure, huh, Sarah Nicole? There wasn't a whole lot of romance. Yep. To go I have a little bit one. of a problem with that, but I'm I'm fine. We can move on. You're trying to shoehorn some in there. Wait. Twenty shoehorn around here. <laughs> the crew naturally transported to the station to investigate. Supplemental commander's log. We were trying to establish communications with Research Facility 39. Our communications were cut off. And so we are going to investigate the conditions there and, and see what's up. We have not been able to reestablish any communications. We're taking a away team of six and a half, the half being the one in the backpack, and transporting <laughs> over. We'll see where it goes. Oh, John, you were half. <laughs> I love the whole John in the backpack joke. I think it's just fabulous. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's perfect. It's a nice it's way to have to, you know. Go ahead. I was going to say it's comfortable, you know, in Cupertino. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like my safe place. <laughs> really yeah. need to get going with that merchandise. Safe place? Backpacks. Oh, that's a perfect idea. Okay. We'll put that on the list. The oldest so, one on the list. The oldest one on the list is the backpacks? I need to make a list. Okay. Anyway, the crew teleported into the station management offices at the center of the station. All of the offices were empty with no signs of the station crew anywhere. Ominous. Mm. They also found the communication station mysteriously abandoned. Uh, you find the broadcast unit still turned on. A small hand mic dangles from its cord, switched on. The chair is still sitting, partially pushed under the console, and a cup of cold coffee sits nearby. The cold coffee, man, I'm telling you. 
Oh, yes. Atmospheric. <laughs> Coffee <laughs> and cold. The, the away team made their way to the security office. They reviewed the security footage. They watched the footage of the communication officer's conversation with the Cody. At the point where he stopped talking, he just vanished, disappeared into thin air. <laughs> After reviewing the footage from other areas of the station, it seemed that everyone on the station vanished at the same time. The crew decided to split up into two search teams with Tapu manning the security station to monitor the security screens and be the coordination hub. Commander McDonald suggested searching the Tachyon lab first. There's some strange stuff that can that goes on with Tachyons. Um, I think we may find some answers there. The other team headed to the turbo lift to check the upper levels of the station. On the way, they heard the sounds of clattering metal things beginning and things breaking from the cafeteria. Dr. Triss got the same odd empathic sensations from the same location. Drawing phasers, the team opened the door. The cafeteria was an absolute mess with plates and dishes strewn about. In the center of the mess were two large translucent gelatinous blobs. You can see like, uh, you know, chicken, like drumsticks and stuff inside them. They basically, they've consumed a whole bunch of food and um, in, in little uh, chunks. And so they're all just kind of floating around in them. They're, they're like, they're at the, um, the, the places where you can order food, you know, they're like, the, they're pushing buttons, boop, 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 boop. And like, they just throw the, the plates away and just consume the, whatever meats they can find. Uh, nobody was familiar with these creatures. Dr. Triss could not get any readings on her medical tricorder. She realized she needed to recalibrate the tricorder as these beings seemed to be half matter, half energy. As the crew made their observations, the creatures stopped eating and began moving their heads through the air, apparently sensing the crew's presence. Suddenly, the creatures started making a high-pitched sound, which was obviously some sort of alarm. As the crew thought about what to do next... Ensign Rocusolano made a bold choice. Can I shoot it? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Why are we shooting them? I mean, Why did not? it show any aggression towards us? It's not very Starfleet. I asked if we could, and I was told yes. So <laughs> that's my thing. We'll call that good enough. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why are you shooting things? We're in Starfleet. Oh my god, my face. Um, actions, of course, speak louder than words, and Rocco Solano attempted to stun the creatures before his actions were questioned. This creature doesn't Can show I... any signs of, uh, of of the stun affecting him at all. Okay. Does now he's moving it, towards you. To have... Oh, Wait. but it seemed to affect him. Okay. Can I run and grab a piece of chicken and throw it away from us? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do okay. That. I grab a chicken leg and I, I chuck it, it? far north. You want it? Go get it. All right. They're, they're they're pretty full. It looks like he's like sort of like looks at it and he's like he seems to be honing in on you because you're a threat. C Commander McDonald also fired his phaser at the creatures, providing cover fire and a distraction for Rocco Solano to escape out of the door. Unfortunately, the phaser fire didn't seem to affect the creature, and it continued to bear down on Rocco Solano. 
The other team heard the commotion and rushed to provide help. Setting phasers on full disrupt, they gathered at the door and provided covering fire. This seemed to slow the creatures down, although they still didn't seem to be badly injured. But it was enough to allow Roku Solano and Jensen to escape. Based on their observations, it was pretty clear the door would not hold these creatures. They would no doubt slip through the gap underneath the door. The crew started to brainstorm what they could do to stop the creatures from coming after them. Yeah, so we have a mind melt suggestion. Yes, we have a okay. fire suggestion, right? Fire. To try to burn them. We all have. No, a, I mean, we all have I, nylon line. Well, I don't, I don't know if a net would work because they're like gelatinous. They probably just like go through. Go through Maybe it. we could slice them with the net. No, because so. that makes me. That really makes me think of like the gelatinous cube, right? Of Dungeons and Dragons that you slice it and it just. Okay. Becomes yeah. another, but it just becomes two, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, um, I think, you know, but my first initial thought was that these ate everybody, right? But we never mm -hmm. saw them show up in the video to actually consume anyone. They just vanished. I wonder no, well, if these are them. What if these are the people? Oh my god! What if these? What if? They're... Ah. Right. What if they're know. the people? Oh, yeah, they could be. And maybe there's a way to turn them back. Mm -hmm. mm. The thing well, is, is, how do we contain them? The team decided one team would slow down the pursuing creatures with phaser fire, while the other team would run to the Tachyon lab to see if there are any clues as to what caused the station crew to disappear. That was a cool brainstorming you're, section, you're, though. I think you're muted, Sarah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Cat aggro. Mm -hmm. If you notice, <laughs> that was a cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, I liked all the ideas. Very Star Trek ideas. I I also had the notion that the creatures were the crew at one point. I was not disagreeing with that. I fully anticipated that would have been a potential. Yeah, outcome. I did too. I thought that. The I way, think I missed that brainstorming go. session. Yeah, you I had gone off to go to the bathroom. I just figured if, if like they had been eaten, there would be you know video evidence of that, and it wouldn't just be an instant. Everyone disappears mm -hmm. all at once. I, I like our earlier obsession with tachyons. I think that was really fun. How we were just like so stuck on like tachyons, man. They're like magic and particle form. It's got to be the tachyons, you know. I we had there was a clue leading you there. Like yeah. the, the station administrator was uh, wanting to lock them down and go inspect there. So that yeah. was at least a lead. But yeah, Dave yeah. also definitely had a science reason. Were all the leads actual leads or were some of them like just wild goose chases? Um, I think that was the only solid lead. Was there another lead? There was something up on the um, upper level with the, uh, there's some damage to a certain sec sector in the upper level. That's where one team was headed. So I think those are the two solid leads and we're following those up. I do think that I remember one other idea that floated around during our brainstorming was that it was a honey, I shook the kids situation. <laughs> All of a sudden everyone was like, Oh crap. Are we stepping on them right now? Checking our because shoes. Because around just so small. I can't see them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that have been fun? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think that was a good aspect of this was that there was um, enough mystery that it could have been a lot of different things. A lot of things could have gone different ways. I agree. Should we go back to the recap? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go back to the recap. I'm getting really distracted by my 
familiar here. Okay. So back to what was happening. Unfortunately, those creatures were much faster than everybody anticipated. And in moments they were upon Roku Solano, McDonald and De Los Santos. The phasers were not proving to be very effective. Roku Solano pulled out his engineering blowtorch as a last ditch effort to save the commander. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, wait, you gonna say something, John? I, I was just, um, man, I'm so thankful to have that torch. It's coming so handy. It definitely uh, has a real problem with the heat damage. It's 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 like it, it's like it's clearly like extremely painful to it. Goes, nice. And um, oh my god, that sounds. And it's like stops glowing. They, these guys usually have like an orange glow, and it's just like completely just like becomes like a puddle. Oh, gross. So, how about solution found? Yeah, if it's if it's stopped its attack on me, how about if I shoot my phaser at the floor underneath um, uh, the one that's attacking Taylor Santos? Like the rock. Yeah, yeah. Heat heat up the floor. Get get the floor glowing red hot. Not under De Los Santos, but under the creature. Yeah. It's uh, the one that's attacking De Los Santos is releasing like energy um, attack. On De Los Santos, lovely. All right, David. It starts. You start to slowly heat up the floor underneath it. Um, it definitely doesn't like it. Was it kind of like it's able to easily just kind of dance out of range of that area that you were heating up? Doesn't seem like a super effective. Yeah, but I heated it up kind of between, you know, kind of under it, but between us and it. Okay, but you, you heat up kind of a very small okay. area. I'd step just easily as back up. Yeah, I kept wondering why they didn't just like aim at the creatures with their heat weapons. Why they kept wanting to like burn up the the floors. But uh, I think it's because we weren't really that the phasers would actually be as for heat. Yeah. No, there's a heat setting on the phasers. Oh, there, there is. That's right. There is. I thought yeah. they were just shooting the phasers, and because of, of the phaser fire, it was just heating it up. You can do like you can do heat. You can do like AOE. There's oh wow in the um, in the episode the the naked time, they're burning through the wall with their phasers. In the enemy within, Sue is heating up the rocks with his phasers. Right, I remember all that, but I thought that they were just like shooting the rocks, and the rocks were just. So, like, they wouldn't actually explode. They were just, just absorbing the phaser energy. Well, I learned uh, something new today. I should have, okay. I should have uh, been more explicit. Well, either way, they did indeed uh, use their phasers to heat up a section of the floor, which caused the creature to retreat. With the creatures no longer harassing them, the crew set about exploring the Tachyon Lab. From the security office, Tapru was uh, stationed at the security office to, to kind of uh, manage all the systems. So she was able to unlock the security doors from there. They discovered what looked like a strange transporter control station. Using his background in, in, in transporter theory, Commander McDonald was able to discern that there were many life forms caught in the machine's teleportation buffers. Could this be what happened to the crew of the space station? Pum, pum, pum. 
Indeed. Exploring the computer records in the labs, the team discovered that the researchers were finding a way to teleport a specific type of life form or material rather than teleporting a physical coordinate. No doubt an experiment went wrong and all humanoid life on the space station was teleported away and were now caught in the teleportation buffer. But how, Sarah Nicole? <laughs> How are they going to get the crew back without exposing them to danger from the gelatinous creatures? First, they needed to get sufficient power to the transporter system to rematerialize everyone. To do that, Rocco Solano and Jensen needed to put on spacesuits and repair the power grid outside the station. Yep. All right, you guys bravely go out the airlock. Are you, I mean, are you holding on to each other? How are you? Oh, I've got you obviously some sort of magnetic boots. I tie my nylon, nylon line. Smoke Solano, so okay, we're tied together. She was yep. feeling the nylon line. Yeah, boots. Okay, mine are very sexy and healed. The high mine are not. Mine are very practical. Practical. They still. Mine, they're they're choice, John. Mine are Starfleet issued. So, all right, you guys are walking towards. Of course, there's a magnetic storm. Both of you guys roll a dex check. Oh, I'm just pausing here for a second to call out that yes, the the uh, Starfleet issued boots do have heels. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. Kirk definitely has healed ones, even Spock. Uh, Kirk's uh, heels were higher than Kirk everybody else's every because day. he was short. Yeah, he had an extra man. like some. He they initially put like two inches in, but then it made his belly stick out from where the way he was standing with his posture. So then they did like one and a half inches, where mm -hmm. everybody else was one inch. So he, silly. And then in the animated series, the women's boots are like like actual go-go boots. They're really high-heeled. Those mirror universe boots, the thigh-high ones thigh -high where they ones. put the knife in them, oh, oh my fuck. goodness. I would wear those right now. Yeah. So you're They're all about, so huh? cool. They're I just cool. I think that cool. might become mandatory for our campaign. <laughs> the thigh-high mirror <laughs> universe. wear the boots. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just have to be a mirror universe. Well, it's more leather protecting your leg, right? So that's practical. Yeah, it's practical. It's practical. Surely. They're not, so, they, I don't think they'd be quick to put on and off. I have over-the-knee boots. They are very quick. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's, we'll put them on right now. We're going to time you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a broken foot, so no. <laughs> you have a broken uh, yeah. foot? Yes. Oh. All right. We're, All right, back to the recap. So they were on the Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, Ava, Ava was definitely about trying to look for uses for her nylon line that she bought. We, we issued salary at this session, so everyone bought stuff, and I think uh, the nylon line was her thing. Hey, that's I like that. I like that she's trying to find a way to use it, because I think great. it's on everybody's character sheet, and have we ever ever used it? I put it mm -hmm. on there because it was like the... It's like a D&D &D campaign. You have to put rope in, because yeah. if you don't have rope... There's going to be a situation where the only thing that would have helped you is rope, and then you're effed, right? So that's literally right. why I put it on my sheet. Ugh. Okay, so allow me a little de detour here, Mr. <laughs> Producer. And um, in in the episodes, they always beam down with like they're carrying two or three things max: communicator, weapon, tricorder, maybe. And and in our game, it's becoming more and more, um, you know, people want to bring all their crap. Who are you speaking to specifically? No, <laughs> actually, no one in specific. Really no. It's just an interesting uh, question of 
I might do. I, I have the Iron Maiden with me. Right. You have no <laughs> idea what those female Star Trek officers had in their bra at any time. Yeah. You have no do idea. They, do they bring purses sometimes? I th- I, I feel do. like I've seen a shoulder bag, but I might have just made that up in my head. It might be a tricorder. It just looks looks like a purse. I feel like I've yeah. seen a Merce. But I think it was when Dr. McCoy was getting samples. Mm-hmm. Remember that planet with the sexy girl? That with the planet. orange vest? I, you know, oh, I yes. think that one just put me to sleep before. The orange <laughs> vest one? With the, where she's like the, the race who can... He, the she, that's the one with the Mugatu. Oh, that chick. Yeah. The one who I, I told you in a private conversation, a private text message, I thought, hey, why didn't you include this girl in your hotties of Star Trek lists? And you were like, meh. And she basically had yeah. a big O on top of Kirk. I've, yeah. Oh, she has to be was, on the list. That was a good performance. Just not my type. That's all. Sorry. Fair. She's a blonde in real life, if that's what the issue is. It's not the issue. She was married to the prominent conductor. <laughs> right this is important everybody it is. this is part of this yes okay i feel like i should get a picture you... of her up yeah okay but the whole point was that i think in that episode mccoy had a merce and now i gotta now i gotta google it okay all right well you're, well you're googling that yes yeah, so having repaired the power grid they headed back oh, inside wait. what they had to do a dex check Oh, sorry. They didn't do the next check. Here we go. Let's hear how they do. Please. I passed. I got okay. <laughs> you guys like have a little like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> the magnetic winds are pretty strong here, but you make this it. This is a bad idea. <gasps> okay. We start repairing it. We got to do it fast. Yeah. I love how in... Um, in, in space shows, you know, space is actually very boring. There's, it's just space, right? But in, <laughs> in shows, there's all kinds of, like, there's mag- magnetic winds. And there's always just, like, planets just being broken up and things exploding. And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of phenomena which can just, like, destroy you. Yeah, otherwise it doesn't make for great TV. But uh, right. it's it like that fact I was reading today about... You know, asteroid belts or Oort clouds or you know whatever. Each mm-hmm. individual object is like thousands or millions of miles apart, so you yeah. could probably fly through it without even knowing that you did. But of course, you know um, that doesn't make for great TV. That's the thing. Whatever yeah. in Star Trek, if they come anywhere near, you know, like within a light year of anybody, they can physically see them, but there's no light in space so right. you don't actually see anybody yeah they, you know like the the whole idea of a cloaking shield you don't actually need a cloaking shield you just need to not radiate any light <laughs> but and then you would literally be invisible yeah but uh we love our space shows and our don't space we ever we just love it how it is we don't care about That's the right. real space so i just need you all to know that yeah he did have a man bag but it was for samples Okay. In that one particular episode. Anyway, okay. Well, maybe we just need to be a little more intentional about like, well, you're going to be carrying a little satchel or something like that. I don't know. Do you want us That's not just, to carry all this stuff down so you can kill I'm just, us? I'm just raising the question of like uh, the aesthetic of it. You know, in 
in a RPG where you're wearing like heavy armor, sometimes you just want to say, well, let's have an RPG where they're not wearing heavy armor just for the aesthetics of it. That's why we so, wear like life belts instead of big environment suits and stuff. If we're a security officer, though, we can wear that cummerbund and we could just Velcro whatever we want to it. Yeah. Hey. With that little fanny pack. And wear the, the Kylo Ren pants. Yeah. Go up over your waist. All right, fine. You don't want us to bring anything to the planet. I'm still gonna stuff stuff in my bra. That's I I can't that's I can't I can't tell you that's not canonical that they don't, don't do know. that in Star Trek. It's definitely canonical right. that they wear those crazy bras. Yeah. Bam. Done. All Are right. You want to weigh in on that, John? Oh, I think she's got a point. I mean, we uh, we have no idea, and uh, yeah, two points. I'm sorry, but I'm cheating. <laughs> That's a dad joke. At least yeah. two. First dad yeah. joke. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're creative um, about it, it's, it's awesome. Aaron, do you think that we should be allowed to smuggle items onto planet surfaces in our underwear? You know, I mean, within reason, it's not like these, you know, outfits are n not revealing. So, yeah, I mean, a, a small, what's the name of those little guns that you put in your, you know. Uh, Dylan, is that right? Thank you. Yes, that's exactly it. So, you know, if, if there's a if there's a Star Trek phaser version of a, of a you know, panty gun, um, then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Phaser but... one. Good, yeah, favorite <laughs> one. You know, it's just got to be within reason. But uh, I'm I don't gonna know. get. I, a I realize bra. I'm. I realize I'm sabotaging like my own chance. But like my character doesn't have any giant, you know, Iron Maidens to want to bring to planets or anything. So, what about the updo? Can can there be stuff in the beehive? That yeah, is a that's really legitimate. legit thing because that was hollow, right? It wasn't it all wig. I mean, all when, hair. when the wig makers, they sometimes do that like horse hair clump that they shove into that to, mm -hmm. you know, but I think that those beehives had to have been hollowed and some kind of structure in there to keep them up. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. This okay. is fun. More places to hide things. Anyway, it's like our adventure. In there. It, I feel like April could keep her like neuronic whip uh wand in her updo we gotta tell her okay i'm gonna have a conversation with all the ladies all right this is important good all right yes gentlemen you're out of luck no I'll, that's not true because carry all your stuff some of the men wore wigs too like first yeah, season first wigs. couple episodes check off they gave him that monkey's wig so he yes. looked like he was in the monkeys uh, right. so if you wanted to hide it in your check off wig i think that's fair Oh, remember when Scotty had that pompadour for like three episodes? Oh, that's <laughs> was, right. Was there ever an episode where they like they beamed down with like some large object? Did they ever like beam down with like just a big old like, with like a Samsonite rolly bag? Yeah, all <laughs> <laughs> they all beamed down with the rolly bags. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. We, here. we did We're it. Because even when we... women. <laughs> You have any blondes? Because <laughs> even when they stay the night, they don't bring anything. Like even if they're planning on being there, we've seen the beds in their chambers. They just they don't have any sheets or anything. They don't change <laughs> their clothes. They just kind of lie down on this couch. And they're like, "Well, guess this is it." Except Aurora <laughs> puts on a beautiful caftan the minute she gets in her room. 
<laughs> yes. The women, of course, are always a different story. And the, yeah, okay. Anyway, they don't show I, the guys in their pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> They're never in pajamas. You're right. Oh my god. Do you think that he had it in his contract to never show him in pajamas? <laughs> he had a Kylo uh, Ren without his shirt. Oh yeah, he I does take he, his shirt off to hang out in his quarters. Well, yeah, I think he had it in his contract for the other men not to show, not to be shown without shirts, except the one episode where Spock is shirtless, uh, yeah. and it's just not. It's just <laughs> not. <laughs> well, he's a, a different kind of attractive. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's awesome. They're all so awesome. <laughs> the episode we just watched, he was flirting. The girl was like, the blonde was like, her dad was like, oh, you think that guy's hot? And she was like, not that guy. The one with the interesting pointy ears. And I was like, yeah, girl. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So We're boring better. our guests. Let, let's our guests move on. are fine. Our guests enjoy yeah. this. If they don't our, enjoy our this, they can great. email you about it. <laughs> we'll send in a, a very worded, angrily worded letter. Yeah. Uh, Get yeah. back to the recap. Okay, Dear having BBC. repaired the power grid. <laughs> Dear BBC. <laughs> okay, so having repaired the power grid, they headed back inside the ruptured hole to repair it. <gasps> but wait! There's one of these creatures left behind in this area. No. Okay. Just touch your brains. No, wait, not yet. Not yet. You leave? <laughs> yeah, no, listen. We were going to fix it, uh, the hole, by the way. Uh, the intention was to fix the, the opening from the outside of the ship. I wasn't actually planning on going in. Um, well, there's a bus but, relay in there. Yeah. You, you, you've got your torch, and they don't like you. Oh, yeah, let's burn it. Yeah, just burn it. it All right, so you do go in and, and start torching it? Burn. Yeah. Yep, I do. So Rocco Solano and Jensen finally repair the hull and restore full power to the experimental t uh, transporter. Commander McDonald has examined the controls and has determined that he can beam back the crew one at a time, making it a lengthy procedure. Meanwhile, Dr. Triss and T'Pru are working together to figure out what to do about the creatures. So I have calibrated my medical scanner with the help of Tapru um, in the control center. Um, and uh, we are figuring out the number of, um, of creatures and where exactly they are within the ship or within the station. Yes, I'm sorry. I relay all of that information that they are. There's about 30, 30 of them. 30 to 40. 30 to 40 of them, and they are all over the station. They're in the dome. They're, um, they're really spreading out over the whole station. Um, should we possibly have Tapru turn up the heat, maybe, from, from where she is in the station, in the command center? Um, is she able to turn it up enough to really uh, make it We could try. It'll at least slow them down, I would think. Does, does everybody have life belts or a suit or something they can wear um, in case it gets too hot for us as well? The rest of the crew agreed that turning up the heat of the station to kill all of the creatures was the right plan. But first, they needed to sneak around the ship, avoiding the creatures to find the environmental controls. All right, you guys, like, uh, you know what to look for, but you, you're not sure exactly where it is. You have to, like, jump down and, like, climb back up ladders and, like, jump across. Mm -hmm. We're doing you know. it sneakily and sexily, yep. of course. It's You're, 
Do you um, do you at any point have to throw Rocco Solano across, Jensen? Yeah, I like I roll him like a bowling ball. He's like I'll toss me. skills. <laughs> bowling. bowling. <laughs> <laughs> we have a running joke about bowling in the campaign, so that was great. Well, some good yes the, and right there. Yeah, it was a great. It, it comes from the blueprints having a bowling alley in the ship. Um, and, and this scene it's was cool. awesome. Yes, uh, this was a cool scene. Um, one of the few kind of callbacks to the enemy within, or one of the few points of intersection, because it was that point where they're fighting in the engineering room, and Bad Kirk jumps off. He's climbing up on top of the engines, and he climbs. He jumps down on top of the other Kirk. So. I was glad that came up. So they, they eventually did find the environmental controls and they turned up the heat. Okay, we'll go to 100. All right, everybody's pretty uncomfortable, but you have your life belts and stuff, so you guys are all okay. We're not Commander, temperature's rising. Hey, I live in Cloverdale. 100 degrees is nothing. That's true. 120. What was, that negative, what was the negative temperature in the episode that they couldn't abide because it's too cold? 140. All right. You can crank it up to positive 140. Nice. How about that? Do that. Tapru is quite comfortable because she's Vulcan. <laughs> but uh, all the rest That's of you, right. like, even though you have life belts on, you're, you're That's sweating. pretty uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. It's really uncomfortable. But did it work? Were the creatures being affected by the heat? We, um, we asked um, if um, Dr. Triss sees uh, any change in um, behavior in the life forms because you can scan them. So slowing down, speeding up. Like, did we notice anything since we've risen? The well, let's just say, like, while that was happening, just these guys yeah. were all swarming towards this controls console. <laughs> all these guys kept like coming in. They're pouring in. This is the like, seal, seal <laughs> doors, you know, glass doors, and like all this stuff, and. um and then, like, it instantly starts to get really hot, and they just, like, they flip out. They run to the airlocks. There's, a, there's an airlock here. No one gets in their way. They all just take off into space. They form the colony. Gross. Ava, we just saved the day. <laughs> fly away. With the creatures successfully taken care of, the crew of the Cody was able to beam the station crew back aboard one by one. The station crew were very grateful. Dr. Triss filed away all of the information learned about these creatures into the Starfleet database, so if anyone else encounters them in the future, they'll know how to deal with them. And as soon as the magnetic storm cleared, the USS Cody set off for its next adventure. Yay! Uh... Okay. <laughs> Well, that was the game. What do you guys think? It was delightful. That's it? I... Yeah. <laughs> delightful. But it was. It was so lovely. Like well, let's, let's break it down a bit. So there was a... Uh, was there a... Uh, this was by the same author as Ghost of Conscience. Um, uh, Guy McLemore, along with, uh, along with Greg Payline who was the author of the Tribbles one. So there were kind of elements of, of both of their styles in there. Um, it seems like one of the great things in Ghosts of Conscience was there was sort of like a lot of different ways you could go about things and a lot of different ways things could play out. And he sort of told you or told me as, as referee how to deal with those things. 
What do you think about that, Eric? Did it seem like yes? Uh, I was going to say, I was going to say that uh, what I liked is that there were a couple of different puzzles, and there were multiple avenues of solution. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Was the we we found it? Oh, they're susceptible to heat, um, but maybe we could have. Um, like had somebody run and gather them into the airlock somehow, like have somebody be a, a be bait and like jettison them out into the airlock, right? It was any number of ways we could have gone about trying to solve that solution. The other thing um, I liked was that it was a nice combination of uh, combat, but also like puzzle, puzzle solution. Um, there was... Uh, and we could have, or the other thing, okay, I'm going to go back to what I was saying. Airlock, we heat up the station, or we could have just grabbed, find all the torches and just genocide, right? That maybe is not the Starfleet way, but it was a potential solution. So there are a lot of different ways you could, you as a player could figure out what to do about these space worms, right? Yep. Uh, I like you could have been just fighting them inch for inch across the whole station, that yeah, I think that I liked our solution a lot better. But yeah, you totally could have. It was great because no one had to feed you that that idea of affecting the life support systems. Um, but the module covered that eventuality. Said, well, they have to go here, and there's a whole thing for that. I really that's liked really it. cool. Yeah, I, I'm kind of sad we didn't. Ex- I mean, all the three other. Uh, branches were red herrings clearly but i'm kind of sad we didn't go exploring to see what if there was anything of interest in those other but were they yeah were they red herrings they were okay well so there's one of one of the other cool thing about this is that they invented this station and they had it detailed they detailed all the other um areas of it but I think they had the idea that you could use this um, in a very modular modular way um, oh, to create so like your another adventures. campaign. Yeah, that's really cool. There are pages and pages and pages detailing all the personnel of the station, and they all have pictures. They all have stats, um, so you could theoretically run with this. And I think that's a really cool uh, bit of groundwork where they're saying, "Here's a scenario, but also like here's just a tool which you can use in your game." I mean, I, I think, think it was really super well-designed. I thought it was a little bit boring, but it was still Star Trek-y enough. You thought the it campaign had the itself was boring? No, I mean the design of the station. Okay. It wasn't... I don't know. In comparison to other things that are... I, I well, mean, this seems like it's revisitable, right? Yeah, it's reusable. It's... Um, yeah. It also has a, a generic map for one of these arms that you can populate in some other way that you might want to. So I think that's a point in, it, in its favor. That doesn't affect the scenario so much, but it, it it's a little bit more bang for your buck there. John, what do you think? Oh, you kind of caught me off guard. I was kind of like <laughs> listening. Well, how right? about this? Should we put John on trial again? Oh, damn what? it. You are the reason why I was supposed to be here. <laughs> I didn't do nothing this time. No, no, I no. The reason everybody. is because you're a dad. So we have a segment well, called on. Humanity on Trial. If you haven't been on the podcast before, Aaron, okay, yes, and this I, is I where have not, so, this yeah. is where we only bring John in 
and yell at him for something he did during the game. No. Yep. Oh boy. <laughs> Every, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, I've been on the show a couple times now, Aaron. All right. We are, we are benevolent space gods putting humanity on trial to see if it's worthy. And and here's why I want to put John on trial because he came up with the idea of firing at these guys uh, before any other sort of contact is made. And of, of course, he received authorization, but but and but uh, he ran with it. So um, why why did it seem to you, John, that that these guys needed to be dealt with um, in that manner right off the bat? Oh, because I'd assume they ate the crew was why. Because uh, because they were at the food simulator, nobody was around. I just uh, naturally went to the instinct that these guys had consumed the crew, and that obviously they were going to try to consume us. That, but you, you know, could see inside of it was just chicken, just like there was just chicken in there. <laughs> yeah, but I Here's, mean, who's to, who's to say there wasn't they, people before that? Yeah, they might have dissolved those guys already. I mean, am I allowed to be John's defender here? You know, you I absolutely are. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm as Starfleet as the next guy, and like would love to have you know tried to mind meld with them first or something of that nature. Uh, obviously, in retrospect, we know that like they're not out to make friends. Um, they're not like the Horta or something here. But um, yeah, you know, I think it was a pretty solid guess to look and say, hey, these guys are coming toward us. They like meat and. Uh, there's been enough time to have dissolved all the former crew since we got here. So, objection, yeah, Your my, Honor. But wait, was, wasn't the wasn't the Horta also? Didn't they attack the Horta at first too? That's right. So, so this is very interesting. We're watching The Devil in the Dark for next week's game. Have you guys already watched it? No. Not your heads, yes. Yeah, uh, John, you, you never watched it? Pop. No, I've not. I've actually just been following along with what we've been watching as as we've gone. So. No, that's, what, that's, that's what we're talking about. The, the one we're reviewing oh. next week is Devil in the Dark. That's the one with the Horta. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I did yeah. that one, actually. Okay, okay great. Yeah. All right, so there are some, some, some similarities um, to that in this game. Because in that episode, you've got the, the, the chief engineer there who's like, you know, I'm concerned with my people. They're being murdered. You find that monster and kill it, right? And then, and then, there's, and then as the episode progresses, they're like, well... It, the silicon-based life could be of an entirely different order. It's possible our phasers might not affect it. Right? That's another similarity. And then there's the whole question of like to kill it would be a crime against science. Our mission, and then you know, but our mission is to protect the colony to get the you know everything, everybody safe and whatever. And and uh, this is not a zoological expedition. So that a whole argument back and forth. So I almost think we could have watched that episode before this game. Uh, and then uh, the next module we're, we're, we're going to be reviewing has a lot to do with this as well, but we still would have watched it. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I'm all prime directive all the time. I think we should always try to communicate first. And I think the fact that the, that they were communicating with each other indicated they were intelligent life, right? Mm -hmm. So there was an opportunity there for attempted communication. We had a universal translator we could have worked on. You know, there was a lot of role play and ability to do that. And as we've talked about many times on this podcast before, in this campaign, I fucking hate shooting first. It makes me fucking crazy, John, because it's just not this universe, right? If you wrote, if we were in D&D &D and we opened a door and walked into a room full of kobolds, I'd be like, burn the motherfuckers. Let's do it, right? Like, oh, shit. Like, tear it down. But it's just a different world. So, like, 
That kind of shit makes me fucking crazy. John, you're guilty AF. What do you say, Eric? <laughs> what on earth, man? Jeez. Oh, you're asking me? Yeah. Um, so, so there was a there's some was some very interesting moments when we were like brainstorming about what to do with these guys. I cut it out of the synopsis uh, because it really was it didn't make for good uh, for, for for good television. Radio. But um, yeah, it didn't make good radio. There you go. Um, where there was a discussion like, hey, what about the Universal Translator? What you think we talked about the mind melding? And uh, it was very interesting, Phil. You were very much uh, kind of pushing us into the direction of these are very simple creatures. Triss is like getting very simple readings from them. They're very clearly, is it food? Is it not food? Is it dangerous? Um, you know, that's, they were very, they were simple. They were not, they, they were very simple creatures, basically. Um, they weren't like intelligent, sentient necessarily. Not that as we would call it. Um, well, that's what, uh, there was a whole discussion at the end where Phil was like talking about, um, uh, hey, so if you would have the universal translator, what would you communicate with this species? And there was uh, Dave, I think, was saying, oh, we should tell them, you know, hey, don't eat us because we're sentient beings. And somebody else said, oh, we, we don't taste good. Like, what? Well, but we do taste good. Um, and then another one was, oh, well, just tell them that it's not worth their time to try to eat us because we will defend ourselves and use our blowtorches on them. And so we're more effort than it's worth and was what it would end up being. Um, yeah. So, so your argument in John's defense, Eric, is that yeah. the, the game master was pushing you in the direction that we shouldn't, we should ignore the prime directive and fire first on a seemingly no. intelligent species. <laughs> no, just checking that communicating with them would be a uh, effort and futility. But, but I'm just, look, just stepping back for a second. So there's the time, time, timeline within the game where at some point Triss was able to take a reading and eventually communicate that to you guys through her empathic ability. Um, but, but the first thing that happened was that John fired. And yes, that's, that's what know. I'm prosecuting him for. No, I just have to say one thing. Walker Solano just made a suggestion, and the officer in charge of the party agreed with Solano's suggestion oh. and gave the order to do so. So I 1,000% agree with John in that statement. 1,000%. Because there is precedent for a younger officer or a security officer to try to fire on like, let's say a Klingon and then for the commanding yeah. officer to go, no, don't do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So in John's defense as the youngest and least experienced person in that away team, I do believe that this particular crime against humanity is the commanding officer's fault. Which is it was was it Jensen that was in charge of that? It was, it was Jensen. Right? It was Jensen. I thought it was yeah. bigger. It was oh. Jensen. Sorry, no, Jensen Dave. Was Dave. <laughs> yeah, but Dave, Dave, Dave was on board with it too. Right. Well, okay. Dave, he was so, also on board the, when I blew up the shuttle. Dave is the commander, yeah. right? It was his <laughs> job to be like, "No, young man, don't you dare." You have to don't grow. Yeah, that's true. So we, we've established. Um, 
long ago that that's going to be Rocco Solano's role in this to be the, the <laughs> idiot cadet is going to like is, try and Jarvis everything. Which is great yep. and fine. And, and it's fine also if your character is hot-headed and wants to shoot first, right? But then it becomes the other people who are playing roles that are experienced and in command to curb that enthusiasm you know i will i will i will offer another point in john's defense he also came up with the idea of affecting with heat and that came up pretty early on and it was a while before that was ever tried and i, I kept being like when are they going to actually try it because that was right there in the module that that was what was going to affect them so um somehow that that took a while to come out but that was thank uh, goodness you had that blowtorch We'd still no, be playing. I thought of the uh, I thought of the gelatinous cube, man. You go back to that gelatinous cube, and uh, fire affected it. And I was like, well, I wonder if fire gets this. So yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of you know metagaming or whatever. But you think the authors just straight up pulled this out of the monster manual? <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's an alien know. race of. Uh, it sure feels yeah, like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Gee, gelatinous cube. <laughs> Next, you see a, a big round ball with tentacles and one big eye. Like, <laughs> all right, John, not guilty. That's not guilty. Vote. Yeah, but, yeah. I, if I get a vote, I say not guilty as Please. well. You do get a vote. Agreed. Not guilty. All right, you're Woo! off the hook. I'm one for then, one for three. But then, how do we think the authors did as far as presenting a moral dilemma? Do you think this could have played out a different way, where there was a little bit more of an attempt attempt to contact them, or or some other solution that would have made it more? Did you have uh, anything that said if we attempted to communicate with them, they would be able to, or was, it was that at your discretion? Basically, they were saying that they um, they were not evil or malicious, but they basically functioned that way because of of what they did, which was to just go from planet to planet and eating everything. Mm -hmm. So, so their whole simple motivation was that they were hungry and they just wanted to eat. And I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, there there could have been a little bit more of an attempt to to spend some time role playing out some sort of communication, the the mind meld, or the translator, or whatever. Even even though the module basically said it wasn't going to be necessarily super effective. Yeah, I think we still need to try though. Like a, yeah. a lot of times before Kirk is um before Kirk decides he's going to break all the rules, he makes sure he follows all the rules first. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he'll try everything like by the book, and then he's like, "Ah, fuck it, just blow this shit up and kidnap people and do whatever we want." <laughs> you know? Yeah. So if like if rules have been like met and then they're still not working, then I'm like, eh. know, "Yeah, there could have been some discussion about like I don't know whether it was necessarily so important to drive them off the space station with with all force possible." Yeah. Let's let let's. You know, let's kind of say the other side of the coin, right? I mean, my thing would be to that is that, yeah, okay, we try to communicate, and then it eats one of us, right? Well, now you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like that scene yeah, in Willy Wonka where, where the guy just eats the microphone is being, being interviewed, the dad of the fat kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the designer said when they first play-tested this, that the group... Um, had captured one of them and the whole rest of the colony like went away off into space. But what they did with the one captured one is that they then followed the colony in their, in the enterprise and, and 
beamed it back to join the group. And the author was very impressed that they did that because, I don't know, he just thought that might um, help with future relations, that if they come into contact with these guys again, they, it might at least give them some food for thought. Yeah, food for thought. Yeah, um, nice. So, uh, I don't know, I guess... And melting them? Yeah. It's not like a super obvious thing to necessarily happen. It wasn't in the design, but it's the sort of thing that sort of could happen. So I think they tried to pull off a ghost of conscience, some moral dilemma and didn't quite nail it. It's, it's really hard to pull off in your, when you're writing a module to say, here's going to be a moral dilemma. And it, 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 it's, there's a danger of it coming off too heavy handed of like, ah, here's the moral dilemma. And it just sort of being like obvious what to do or not really just ringing true. Hmm. I don't know. I think I'd also say that for our group, this fell flat this session <laughs> on some level. We're going back through it, and it's got a lot to a lot going for it. Um, but but somehow maybe just our group was uh, not having a good night. But it didn't it didn't feel as exciting and, and interesting as some of the other ones we'd had. Would you say? I can agree with that one. You know, like wasn't well, that it fell flat? I mean, I don't know, maybe. It was more geared for, because this is how I kind of pictured it, was more of like uh, we we're going to have to have a space mission constantly fighting these things off, right? And we found a, a really quick alternative to get them off the ship. Mm -hmm. It kind of It's one of those stories that works better in hindsight when you recap it and you think about, well, the one group went up to the third level. They did a spacewalk. They, they repaired the one thing. You got to Prue in the control station, like disabling the security and like, you know, relaying all the stuff. And you got the other group getting the transporter to work. And it all just kind of comes together cinematically. Yeah, but I think if it was like a 26-minute a show, like we'd be fine. Mm -hmm. right? It's just it took us a long time to get to everything. I felt like, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, this is more meta than macro. I guess we mm -hmm. have a we have a hard time as a group getting where we're going. We like to talk about it for like a good hour and a half before we actually go do it, right? That's very true. And we love to like puzzle out all the things and be as prepared as possible before we just set off and do it. And if you think about Star Trek, they're just like, oh, fucking beam it down, like let's go. I don't even have my satchel. Right, and yeah. so I'm, especially all we've we've played other games since then, and our last game, I I was like, let's go, let's do it, let's beam down, let's get down there, let's do some stuff, right? And it yeah. just takes us so long to start that by the time we actually get going, sometimes I feel like we're not accomplishing anything because we've spent so much time prepping. So that's one thing. Second thing is. I like it when we split up, when we're in a big group. We played a group with uh, fewer people last time we played. Mm -hmm. I thought it worked a lot better mm -hmm. because we had a smaller amount of people to take turns between. In D&D, &D, we are turn-based in combat, right? And actions, generally, right? We yeah. roll initiative, and then everybody goes by the numbers of who gets to do turns. So everybody gets a chance to talk. Everybody mm -hmm. gets a chance to think about what their character is going to do and why, and then present it, and then it just happens. And in this world and universe, there's not really a turn-based system. So sometimes if a, one group is doing something really interesting, 
they can be doing it for a while and this isn't anybody's fault it's just the natural gameplay but that means nobody else is doing anything for a while so i would like to explore and think about ways that we can make it more turn-based or ways that we as players can recognize that we need to include everybody right in conversations mm -hmm. and groups not saying we're being non-inclusive just that the group is big right yeah. and it can and we play late at night and i get sleepy john hmm. almost fell asleep during this call and i know he's very interested in everything we're talking about right so i don't know i don't know if anybody else sees those issues but it's something i've been wanting to talk about on our podcast for a little bit thoughts feelings opinions i agree like yeah it just takes a long time i mean it's basically it um we it takes us a while to get up and moving into the adventure we spend all of, a lot of time and focus in exposition and by the time we actually get to the action i feel like everybody is you know we're, we're already running on half empty right from a, from like a player energy perspective um yeah. uh, some of that's to be expected right you're kind of like trying to feel out okay what is the right thing where where do we need to go right in a world of infinite choices how do we what are we going to pick what are we going to do Right, we're not being railroaded in anywhere. There's like threads we can choose which thread we pick. Um, uh, so, but I, I agree. I think as players, we could do a better job of keeping the energy up. Let's focus on action and let's not get analysis paralysis. What do you guys um, think about that, John and Aaron? Because we kind of talk about these meta things a lot on this podcast, um, but we don't talk about it in actual gameplay. So, do you do you have any of those feelings or? Is it me psychoanalyzing us too much? No, I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it's always the back and forth of like, you know, we want, and, and Phil takes special pride in like us not being pre prepared for stuff. And like, you can see that grin show up on his face when he's <laughs> like, oh, you guys just, you're just going in there. All right. Yeah. Just, just go in there. That's cool. What, what are you, what are you taking with you? And all of us start triple guessing ourselves like oh my god what do we need let's bring life belts let's bring life masks let's bring 500 power packs let's bring our phaser one and our phaser two and our oh my god what else do we have let's bring the whip and the box and the yeah and we just we want to be prepared because we know that and this isn't so much phil but like the people who write the modules like there's all kinds of random ass crap in here, you know? And we, we've yeah. done this a lot in dungeons where it's like, oh, this one, there's a giant fucking pit that you didn't check for. And like, <laughs> oh, this one, there's 16 buttons and there's a complex algorithm. And if you push the wrong one in the wrong order, you're going to die. And in this one, there's a random <laughs> belt. And when you put it on to see if it's magical, it turns you into a woman. And, you know, it's like, what? <laughs> I, I I know no yeah. joy. Uh, even though we know that like this is not D and D, um, we still have that amount of history all between us, and so we all want to be really, 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 really friggin' prepared. And we have run into situations in some of these games where we don't have what we need, and so yeah, we want to strategize and we want to talk it through and we want to be prepared because ultimately we want to be excellent at it. We don't want to suck ass. We want to be good. And, yeah. you know, we don't, you can't always be good by Leroy Jenkinsing's things, which by the way, happy 15, 15 year anniversary, Leroy Jenkins, but oh, the OG. Yeah. It's been 15 minutes or minutes. It's been 15 it years. Like it. it feels like 15 minutes. Yeah. At least I got chicken. 
But <laughs> you know, that's the that's the dueling instincts I think that we have of like, yeah, we want to move forward and get on with it and like do the adventure. Like, you know, and it, and it always happens to us that we take four times as long on any module than anyone else ever does. But we just have a lot of really smart people who don't like to lose and we want to do well. And we all think that the key to doing well is being really prepared and strategizing ahead of time. And Which it is. <laughs> I mean, usually. Totally. What what I think is really funny is is that oftentimes we still miss half or two thirds of the content because we end up getting stuck on one little thing that we think is super mm -hmm. important and we spend forever theorizing about. Well, don't fucking touch it. You gotta cast this spell and then you gotta poke this and touch that or shoot it with the phaser and you know and and Phil's trying not to railroad us too much but i think as we heard in this week's episode like sometimes he's got to railroad us a little bit and like that's okay sometimes but um i don't know that's my thoughts i don't necessarily have a solution to it but like that's just the way our group has kind of always done things is to overthink it and overplan and what's funny is when we still do that and we're still hilariously unprepared for certain things i don't know there's in my in my defense just on that one point there th this module and some of the other modules specifically say you know make sure the players are clear on what they're bringing because they can't like later say oh i have a universal translator it's right. very specific on that i'm not sure why but I, I think it's good policy to to really know what you have and it it says if you didn't have a uni universal translator here are some areas where you might find one on the space station and so i thought oh, that was kind of nice. cool I'm actually wondering how much of this module we missed. Like, we, it felt like we got really not stuck much. on a few things. Really? Okay. No, no, not really anything at all. In fact, at, early on, I was like, well, make sure that you explore this one area and then just follow the leads from there. So that was a little bit of railroading. Got I yeah. don't mind the railroading because we're playing in a shorter amount of time. We're not yeah. like yeah. doing this like a campaign and we're trying to keep it to like three hours. So we're, we're not going to see all of the content, which is a bummer. But uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, we want to we want to have that claim to fame of having played them all, and so we're going to have to make some sacrifices along the way. To we're going to Pokemon happen. these modules, huh? We're going to yeah. Pokemon these modules, John. Yeah. What do you think about what I just said? Well, okay. So for me, I'm the guy, the puller of levers, right? I'm the guy who's like, let's just do it. That's and why I we love maybe, you. Well, and that's that's probably what it causes some of the caution of the group. Of like, <laughs> hey, let's think this through because I'm an ideas guy and not all of my ideas, is, as we've heard this evening, um, are good, right? But they're ideas and I get lots of them, so I spit it out. So that's why we tend to overthink things. And like Aaron says, we want to win. That's why we're playing is so we mm -hmm. win. Um, yeah. And yeah. so I, I, don't mind, I don't mind it. I love it, man. I don't mind if we take... 40 minutes to get to it. I know. It, I mean, granted, now I, I think we're all used to playing in a longer setting. So now that we have three hours, um, perhaps what we should do is um, to just keep it, since it's on three hours, normally you'd have 30 minutes. So let's say you got five minutes, right? Set a timer. <laughs> you got five minutes, figure it out. I like it. Right? I, which, which could put an edge? Put an edge on the game. It's sometimes played out better than others. I feel like there's been sessions where we've been really on the ball where I said, okay, break into three groups and like just really just like boom, boom, boom. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Do you feel, Sarah Nicole, like in um, the Drifting Ring where we had three groups of two to three people each? Do you think everyone 
in those little groups had a chance to do anything, everything, or was it? Again, yeah, even... I thought that was really well paced, but it's not, it doesn't all fall on you, Philip, right? Like it's not you, yeah. the game master. It also doesn't all fall on us as the players, right? We all need to teamwork and realize like, I don't know. I liked that one particularly because I felt like we all kept it real concise, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm going to go get, I'm going to get my boat. We got to mm -hmm. sleep with all these guys, right? We're going <laughs> to, Eric's going to get a 14 year old girlfriend. Boxes. Yeah. Right. And we're going to make it happen. Captain, like it just was bam, bam, bam. Right. And sometimes I do the same thing where I'm trying to puzzle out in my brain. So I talk for like 40 minutes and then I'm like, you got to stop because we got to move on to the next person. Right. So I don't know. I'd say, I don't know a solution either. I'm just saying it in front of you because it's something I've been thinking about and wanted to discuss with other people instead yeah. of just thinking about it when I'm reading a book about a Klingon chess game. Yeah. I want to I want to be a little bit more intentional in making sure everyone gets a turn, as you say. I think that is a cool thing about D&D. And yeah, in a game like this one, there were a lot of situations where the whole group was just standing around like, we don't know what we want to do at all and we can't all agree and it just didn't like and eventually i was like well what do, you know well, let's just break it up into groups and then each group just de de declares what it's doing i think yeah, that's kind of the way to go but i think we had like a party leader in D, &D and i think if that party leader is going to be dave or me maybe it's our responsibility as the party leader or the person who's in command right to move mm -hmm. that gameplay faster. So maybe that's something I need to internalize and think about, right? Definitely part I of my philosophy in D&D &D was that at, in D&D, &D, if it's a sandbox, the game master can almost be passive because he's just impartially just represents the external forces and it's the caller's re uh, responsibility to move the game along, make sure everyone gets heard and, and uh, that, that things happen because it's really up to the party what they want to do. But in something like this, it's a little different. And as they get more and more railroady, you know, what in some of these modules, they're just written like a novel and um, they're yeah. like, the players should then do this. And I'm like, well, how the fuck do I, uh, do you guys perhaps do this? You find a note that master. says you guys should do this. <laughs> yeah. Do you put a copper in the beggar's hat? Maybe. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, and there has to be a lot. So. And then what? <laughs> and <sighs> yes, and. That's not my favorite uh, mode of RPGs, but. Um... Sure. Well, that's something to call out too. I mean, if our if the people listening to this podcast, our moms, are used to playing D and D, right? They might benefit from knowing when one of the modules is forcing you as the GM to push the players in that way right that's an important thing to note right? yeah and, and whether it can be adapted for for more freeform play maybe we so, should have like when we grade these modules have different categories like you know does it do this or this or this right i was gonna you're bringing it back to this module the vanished i feel like yeah. this one did a good job of it had it, it struck that nice balance between um here's the clue that directs you to that one arm of the research station where that has the teleportation but then and then also here's a clear obstacle in the gelatinous monsters or creatures not monsters but um it, it struck that nice balance between what are you going to do about it but then also very clearly presenting um the obstacles 
Right. It was very, it, that, it, it did that very well. Like, here's a clearly presented obstacle. What are you going to do about it? And there's all sorts of different things you could you could do. That, that became the open-ended piece was trying to find the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. It definitely, although for us, it's our eighth adventure. We're eight adventures deep into this. Like I said, it's the first standalone module. For many people, it was the first adventure they ever played for Star Trek. And, and it still has that element of an introductory module where you come to a security door and it's like, well, here's a security door. How are you going to open it? And, and, and it sort of outlines a couple different ways that the players could do it. Well, they're still learning, you know, like, can we tap into the computers to disable it? Do we burn through it with our phasers? That sort of thing. How do transporters work? What is it? How do we do a spacewalk or how do we repair things? Um, what are the different settings on a hand phaser? What are, there was an interesting point where it's like, how, when we want to turn up the heat, what system is it exactly that we want to affect? And it was life support. And it was like, oh yeah, duh. But like these are things you never like just from watching the show, you're not really necessarily familiar with on that practical level. It's a great thing yeah, about gaming; really puts you in there. Yeah. So there is an element of an introductory module here, but it does it really well with like uh, teaching you how to just screw around with a lot of different things. So I really like that. Phil, was there anything that you added that wasn't in the module? No. Played this one pretty straight. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah. Can't think of anything. Should we rate it? Yeah. All right. We do uh, a warp factor scale, guys. One to ten. One being bad. Ten being great. <laughs> One being um, very bad. We've we've given um, we've given uh, ghosts of conscience an average of nine, and again troubles and tribbles an average of two. So. So that's kind of where we're at. You want to start, Eric? Sure. Um, I'm going to give this one a seven. Um, a wow. lot of fun. I think that the the issues that we had as a team or as a group with the module, I think, came from us. Uh, the energy we brought to it, our own internal dynamics. I feel like as a module, um, I thought it was, especially in retrospect, I thought it was really well put together um, and was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, seven, like very solid, um, a lot of opportunity for good gameplay. Um, I liked it. All right. John, what do you think? I'm going to give it a six. It was, it was okay. It was okay. Um, I like some of the other modules that we've had so far. Um, I, I do really love the space adventure, uh, like aspect of stuff. So, um, but, um, I mean, it, it more particularly towards the ship. Right, my baby. So yeah, <laughs> his baby. That's cute. I love it. Yeah, I definitely. When we've talked before about there being an A plot and a B plot, and there definitely were A and B plots here, um, but I did miss the the fact that there was nothing that you could do back on the ship. So we we had we did station Sarah Nicole with the computer on the station, but that was kind of more boring than if yeah. you, if she were on the ship, like it would. It would have a little bit more cinematic feel to it, I think. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, I I was definitely going to give it a six as well. I think that like it, it has a lot of 
potential this module, but maybe we were just having a rough night that night. Like you guys mentioned it earlier, you know, we all have busy lives, but it, it yeah, I, I thought that, I thought that the nature of the monster doesn't necessarily lend itself to, to playing at a, a, a Starfleet kind of way. And so mm -hmm. we ended up favoring the, the Roca Solano shoot first, ask questions later kind of model. So that part of it didn't feel particularly Star Trek, but on the flip side, like they certainly have adventures like that. And it's an opportunity for folks to, to have that introspective moment of like how long, how many minutes do we throw away trying to do contact correctly versus then just start blasting? Uh, or do we mm -hmm. just roll in and go, so anyways, I just start blasting. Um, yeah. The question you know, should have been raised a little bit more. I, I think so too. Not Star Wars. Star right. Trek. Yeah. Han, Han shoots first, but Spock mm -hmm. does not. Um, so, you know, and, and and there were a lot of interesting, you know, techno babble, tachyon type stuff that I thought had some potential. Plus, we got to, you know, go outside in a solar storm. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, yeah, like I said, I think it had some potential, I think, for, for one reason or another, whether it was just us or or, or what, it, it didn't necessarily land super well. But yeah, six or seven, I'm going to give it a 6.825. Uh, How's that? <laughs> I love it. Three repeating. Yeah, three. Yeah, thank you. 6.333 repeating, of course. I want to mention that there wasn't an obvious episode to watch for this one. No. Which is, which is, which is very different from most of ours, where it was like a, more or less a direct sequel or something. This one didn't... Well, I, we, we chose The Enemy Within. Uh, it, it had the edge because it was a great episode, and it had something with the transporter. I felt like that was a, you know... A neat thing to work in the, the just the concept that transporters can malfunction mm -hmm. and cause all kinds of weird stuff. And there's a thing about the engine room and jumping off that. But there's another episode which is a little bit more like this. Well, there's the Devil in the Dark, but there's also Operation Annihilate, okay. um, where there's just like this colony of they look like scrambled eggs or fried eggs. They just sort of fly through the air and they're made of rubber and they latch onto people's heads and stuff. Do you remember this? Anybody? Yeah, that's when it was filmed at a community college, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we call them like fried eggs or something. Bloody yeah. eggs. Yeah. yeah. It, it was like, not as good of an episode. But, but in that one, they, they did just have to figure out how they were going to, they, they used some like technical way of, of disabling them, some, some kind of ultraviolet rays or something that they were susceptible to. So that would have been a little bit more similar. And they didn't really worry about trying to contact them. So there's that. What do you think, Sarah Nicole? Um, I initially was going to give it a five. Now I think I'm going to raise it to a six because I think it was some, some of it was us being cranky pants. Mm -hmm. um, when we talked about it and did the recap, more things came up where I was like, oh, that was interesting. Oh, that would have been cool. I loved that they gave us an empty space with clues in it because you know I love a murder mystery or a mystery yeah. period. Um, but I don't know that we treated it as such, um, which isn't like we should have done this. It's just it didn't feel in the gameplay like we were solving a mystery. It felt like we were just like, oh, I guess I don't know what to do. I'm going to go kill something with my shooty thing. And, nice. you know, my shooty thing. <laughs> yeah, it took us a long time to even go to the places the clues pointed us. So, again, I, because I think some of the 
fault I found in it was with us. I'm giving it a six where I would have given it a five. I don't like that you were, Philip, that you were railroaded into like telling us to do things, right? That makes me not love. I don't love that. But yeah, it could have been more fun. I don't think I was that much railroaded in this one, but yeah, a little bit. Well, I, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a five. I guess I was slightly leaning toward, towards six after hearing you guys talk about giving it a six, but um, I don't know. It it wasn't it wasn't the most fun for us. We had we had some more fun even with something like um, the one where we're trying to escape the Klingon ship, which didn't have a lot of meat on its bones. But um, for whatever reason, that one um, worked worked better for us than that than this one. Oh, and that one we came up with so many fun roleplay things. Yeah, and that Ooh. one's going to end up with a much lower score than this one, which is fine. This is this this one has a lot of variety: the spacewalk and exploring the different uh, areas of the ship, and the magnetic storm, and the transporter malfunction, and this whole alien race that they came up with. And it seemed like they had the idea of this being some sort of a recurring villain that would, uh, you know, maybe come back somehow. Never did. But, um, yeah, they really tried with the idea of a moral dilemma a little bit and, um, you know, bringing a lot, lot of different Star Trek elements. They gave us a sandbox that you could reuse. Um, if, I, if I were a, a new Star Trek game master and this were my first supplement that I bought, I'd be pretty happy with it. I'm going to say one more thing is that there weren't any NPCs to truly interact with. You had the monster, but you didn't have like a lot of NPC interaction. So I think from an introductory adventure point of view, I think this, that actually is, is a point in its favor because it gives your crew, your group, a chance, to, you know, they have to interact with them themselves and start to define that internal chemistry before you start introducing NPCs, right? Yeah. I, but also, it, it kind of detracts from it, though, because I think that our group has a lot of fun interacting with NPCs. Uh, and so I think that for for being, you know, eighth module, I think we're like, okay, this is a little, there's, where's the NPCs? Where's the role play? We got to flirt yeah. with everybody. It's mm -hmm. important. Um, yeah. So this was one of the authors was the same guy as the Tribbles. Uh-huh. And we had similar comments about the tribbles. Like it should have been more fun. All the elements were there for it to be fun. Yeah. It should have hmm. been fun. Think, yeah. I don't think all, I don't think um, the, the tribbles one also had the particular problem of like really wanting you to hem it up. Well, we've been all over that one. Yeah. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you know this, but we didn't like that one. <laughs> which one? Oh, the, the, the one where I had my PTSD breakdown. That was the only yeah. fun part. The fun of the module is the stuff that we brought to it. And um, and yes, Aaron, you, you successfully hammed it up, which is what they were going for. Um, but back to this one, I gave it a five instead of a six just because uh, I was just leaning in between and I felt it was slightly under underwhelming from what I expected and from how it played out. Um, it just it was missing a certain oomph. I don't really know what. Um, you know, this is because it was the first standalone module. It's it's probably the most famous Star Trek module. When, right? Whenever I went out just on the internet asking, you know, what's a good module for Star Trek? This one always came up. 
and huh. people are converting it to the new um, Star Trek RPG that's out. And um, yeah, it's just this is the big one. Why and do people? Why do people like it? Well, probably all, all, all the all reasons the, we mentioned. Yeah, all the variety of it. Ooh, fine. I don't know. What would you? Looking back on all the adventures, if you could say this should be your first adventure and this should be your second adventure, what would you recommend? Ghost of Conscious in the Ring. The Ring is like a campaign in and of itself. Like That's that a, thing. That was a fun time. It was a yeah, great the, the ring, time. We the Ring was a fun mini campaign. I, I enjoyed it. it. It also, in many ways, didn't 100% feel like Star Trek, though. It, it felt. It felt to me like, I don't know, maybe I haven't watched enough Star Trek, but like the idea of that, you know, habitation ring kind of concept, like it it felt like uh, a chapter out of something else. I I don't know. Um, But, you know, we took Star Trek and brought it to that environment. And so like we made it Star Trek, even if it didn't necessarily feel that way from the get go. Um, I like the one we just played this last week, um, which of course in podcast world, we haven't, we haven't got to yet, but yeah. what, well, it's if you're coming continuity. on, you can talk about it with us next week. Aaron, are you talking about the one with the Horda? Well, I thought the Horda one was great too. That, that one okay. I, was a, a, just a perfect sequel. And, and after we finished, I, I went back and, you know, found the module and reviewed it. And it's interesting sort of how it was written. Um, but it it obviously just fit absolutely perfectly into the into the the setting, uh, and just was. I mean, it, it was a continuation of the episode itself. So I mean, I thought awesome. that one was was fabulous. Um, um, yes, and then I like that episode, or I like that module too. Yeah, and and then the one we've we've been playing, um, I thought felt very like negotiation like starfleet first contact kind of stuff uh and obviously we're not we're not done with it yet but um okay so who sorry sorry to cut you off Aaron. we'll we'll get to those and we'll yeah, probably have I'm, you I'm sure on for one or one or both of those episodes but uh who was it that said their first one would be ghost of conscience and their second one would be the drifting ring sarah nicole sarah nicole john what are you Okay, so the module that we just played, um, or not, I'm saying that we're discussing in this podcast, right? So yeah. The module that, we're, that we played for this one is a really good beginner one, right? It, it, I thought that it definitely brought a lot of that concept out. I think that any group going into this will naturally want to shoot first on those, um, on those uh, you know, um, creatures, right? Because um, even, even Eric just nonchalantly, right, calls them monsters. Right, right. Nat- naturally, you're going to want to take that approach, which, which is which is still fine, right? Because in that situation, I kind of do think that it's you know, I mean, it's just a space monster, it's a creature, so you deal with it appropriately. So if it's I, your I first, understand. if it's your first adventure, and someone fires first, and then you have a little shootout, and then later you have a little conversation like, "Hey, hold up, it's Star Trek. We're not supposed to be firing first, then that might be a, a cool thing. Exactly. And then um, I think the next the module after that would be the first. And then my second was, I, I'm, it's still my favorite. I loved exploring planet from planet and having little encounters on every on little planets. And we had a set amount of time. I think that yeah. that's an adventure that should happen second because then that way you learn first. 
how to play your character, how to be in the Star Trek universe. And then the second one, you learn all the aspects of the ship, right? I know that some of these modules, when you bring them out to us, you know, I'm like, I'm looking at the energy cost, and I'm like, there ain't no way we got the energy to keep teleporting all like this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but, but, of course, the module doesn't have that worked in, aspects worked into it, you know, and that sort of thing. So, um, but it's, it's really cool to, to learn that and then to jump into it. And I think that we are having more and more fun with these adventures the more that we've gone on because it's like we're learning more about the culture of Star Trek, of being in it. Uh, I'm with Aaron. Um, I, I'm a Next Generation guy. I have seen Star Trek, the original series, but I, I never really got into watching episode after episode. Uh, and so lately, um, I'm actually, I plan to pick it up and actually watch it from season one all the way through, but I've loved just having that reference episode beforehand because it really helps set the mood more and more and more. And I mean, so I've been, I've been digging this a bunch. Yeah. I love watching them. We, uh, as our dear listeners know, we've been watching everything right from the beginning and we're having the best time. Like I look forward to watching it. It's so fun and we love yelling at it and, we love reading up on the episodes and finding out why things are happening that are wild, right? It's great. It's so entertaining. It's so fun. I am also a next generation person. That's my, my favorite, right? But going back to the original series, I'm like, this stuff is great. It's cool. It's like we have a book club, except it's a TV club that then gets together and plays a game. Like and a so pop it's just culture like- club? <laughs> Oh, you what? My it's, oh, it's triple immersion. It, it asks a lot of the group, but um, as long as you guys are having fun, we'll keep doing it. It, it does to a certain extent, but it's, it's it's also fun. And if if someone doesn't watch the episode, we're just like, yeah, okay, come play, like whatever. So, John, you would do the vanished, and then you would do um, a hazards in space uh, adventure. What would you yep. say? Eric, you know, I've been thinking about it. I'd go back to um, Slaver Ruins as the first yeah. adventure. That's oh, the one where, yeah, yeah, because we had the kind of adventure. Exactly so, because a lot of people are going to be coming here from a D and D Pathfinder situation. We'll be picking that, this up maybe as a a secondary potentially. So if you're familiar with the more you know, swords and sorcery, slaver ruins kind of like is a nice like ease in. It feels more familiar. There's shootouts. There's like aliens to encounter. Like oh, there's treasure, right? Yeah, there's so loot in almost every room. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like that's a nice transition to um, Star Trek land. And then I, I'd, I'd say Drifting Ring uh, would be the uh, the second one. Um, nice. Just because it was too good. Wanted- or maybe okay, I will say this. I would say Slaver Ruins. I would put Ghost of Conscience as like a transitionary because you get away, there's still some of that like combat in there, but then you're getting away from the combat, you're getting more cerebral Star Trek, and then go drifting ring. Mm-hmm. Aaron, what about you? Yeah, gosh, I, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to uh it's hard for me to order them. Um I mean the order that we did them, I felt was like a nice transition from a very like straight up dungeon crawl sword and sorcery kind of thing. Um, 
in addition to introducing, you know, artifacts that we could use to blow up one of our shuttles and fun things like that. I mean, so that that felt like a natural progression. Um, uh, yeah, I haven't had any issues with the way we've we've done things so far. I mean, I think the ring definitely has more potential to it, you know, and I think that like you could probably spend a, a whole mini campaign there. And honestly, you know, it doesn't have some of the artifacts that I know that are, are fun for a lot of folks, like the idea of starting fresh, but then being able to accumulate artifacts. Like that's not necessarily a Star Trek kind of way. Like in the episodes, people don't tend to accumulate artifacts in that way for the most part. Like, okay, yes, Worf has his, his Klingon thing hanging in his room or, you know, whatever else, but like, I, I don't know. It's not as much of a focus as you tend to see in, in like a D and D group. But anyways, in terms of the order, um, I I would I, I uh, uh, what's the just like what would be the best first episode the first uh, session for you? Like best first session for me? Like you were I, I, you were fine with the shuttlecraft crash being the first? I was totally fine with that. Yeah, yeah. I, it was perfect for me. I you know and it's like a solid answer. I, would, I tend to roll with the punches a lot, so I don't have a lot of issues with stuff, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Just the way it, it played out for us almost has like a, an iconic a, a iconicity to it, just because that's how it, we played it. So that's how we played it. Um, and then I I also like the fact that at first we didn't even have a ship; we just had a shuttle, and so that was one less thing to really worry about. And it was just sort of like, okay, what does a communications officer do? What is a you know, engineer do that sort of stuff. How does this phaser work? Right. Do we even worry about the prime directive? So I, yep. I kind of, I, I was really fine with how it did play out for us. I think abstractly, I do think um, the drifting ring is an improvement on that shuttlecraft crash idea. So if you're going to start mm -hmm. with something D and D ish and just like, uh, like man to man, um, but with a, a, a Star Trek flair that that might be a slightly better one. And then, and then John, I, I totally agree that hazards of space, we were just flying around and, and, and doing planet after planet after planet. That was just freaking fantastic. So that, that gives you the other other flip side of the coin of like, what is it like to, to really just play around in Star Trek? I and that does that trickle again. around. That does trickle down into every aspect of our other sessions, where even if the module authors didn't have that system in mind, they had some sense of like, you know, well, the life su support systems are going to have a strain if this happens, or you're going to take some damage from a passing asteroid. That sort of right. stuff comes up all the time. And so for there to be such clear stakes in how that works, I think is awesome. Uh, yeah, that one was fun too. Well, maybe we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll do that once every season. If we have a season of about 10 episodes, mm. yeah, that we'll just like good. take a break. You know, when we're tired of these railroads. We'll just be like, let's just go back. <laughs> and fly around explore. Be boy yeah, I just, I, it was it was tough to only have so much energy and so much time because there was so many things that like i felt That's like all about could, dave getting promoted or sarah nicole yeah. right once you get promoted we get a new ship i think you're closer because yeah. somebody might have killed our time. commander i know mm. phil's very careful to say it's all going to be around the same time we're not necessarily going to have a change in command that's fine. Yeah. As a Vulcan, I don't desire anything commands or have that ambition. I just 
I just desire a new ship with more energy. That's you get it, sir. <laughs> That's it. You guys, it's getting late, so yeah. I think we should close up this one. But thank you both for being here. Yeah, that's a review. Yeah, way to way to vanished. trick me into coming. Right? <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, it's gonna be great. It's a bunch of us. Hey, John, now that you're here, let's put you on trial again. Just expect to be put on trial every time you. I'm come. gonna. I'm gonna every time. <laughs> We, hey. we we thought this would be just like a recurring segment where someone would go on trial, but there isn't so really anybody John on other than you. <laughs> you, and you guys want to put me put on, on, on trial, trial here? What? Yeah. You have to do something you naughty. Have to do something. What did I do that was naughty? Nothing. 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 You're not on trial. Nothing. It's me. That's why. <laughs> we gotta we gotta find something though. Come oh, on. Now what? he's gonna okay. produce okay. the situation where okay. he's. Well, you, I had a feeling the moment I heard that clip of like. Let's shoot it. I was like, oh, it's coming. They know it. <laughs> hey, John and Aaron, do you want to, do you have social media you'd like to drop? You want to plug yourselves? I'll plug Jeez. my stuff, right? I know, yeah. right? So, and Vulnerable Justice, I'm on Instagram, TikTok. Find me on there. Always post positivity and fun stuff to make people laugh. And Aaron, if you don't want to share your social media, you don't have to. Well, I'll I'll be one of those a holes that talks about how I deactivated most of my social media, but uh, I I I have streamed on Twitch in the in the past at Efren01, E P H R I N zero one, but uh, nothing really more recent than that. Better get back on there. I know. Problem is, I'm too loud. I just project my voice too much, and it just pisses off my wife because it's always after the kids go to bed. So I'm basically over here, you know, projecting like I'm on stage, and she's like, "What the go? You know, be quiet." I'm like, "I I can't. I don't have an inside voice." So. <laughs> she comes out here and turns on like four or five fans so that the noise from the fans will like drown me out, and I don't wake up the children. Um, sometimes hmm. it works. I love it. It's perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, that's our review of The Vanished, and we hope you liked what you heard. And if you did like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes because it really helps us out. Yeah. We also want to hear from you. Well, Some of I us don't, do. but the boys do. We want, to, we want you to visit our website, www.rpgpopclub.com, or email us at rpgpopclub at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if there's anything you want us to review. And don't be fooled. She wants to hear from you. And you, no, you see I the smile on her what... face. She does. She does. She wants to see him. I don't want to know anybody's opinion of the way our voices sound. She wants you to slide right into her DMs and if, talk about vocal fry. If it's very polite and loving comments, I want to hear all of them. All positivity. Anything we'll, nasty we'll you want to say, say just to fill up. Yeah, there you he go. Worry, they give you the option to delete the negative comment. <laughs> perfect. Send, send the mean stuff to John on his Instagram. He'll think it's oh, good. perfect. Yes. I'll, re I'll we'll respond. We'll have that jackass on again. Hey. I will oh my God. Phil, no. what are we doing next week? We, we sort of alluded to it. It's called uh, Witness for the Defense. And it's a sequel to Devil in the Dark. So that's the episode we are watching. And that's the adventure we're playing. It's a, a courtroom drama of sorts. Kind of, kind of not. Murder but we'll mystery. talk about it. A procedural? I don't, know. I don't know. You guys, it was super. I was very fun. It might have been my favorite. It was a blast. Santa Cole's been requesting a, a murder mystery. So uh, the fact that it came along. So excited. Just, yeah. Well, I. 
I've, I've read some reviews of it and, and one of them said, um, it's just, it's too much, uh, information for the, the GM to, uh, to have a hold of and too much information for the players to kind of try to suss out. I don't That's think so. Yeah. But you actually did a good job of getting around that. So we can talk about that next week. Let's. All right. Perfect. Very good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for Bye. being here. Happy Father's Day late. See you later. Yeah.